Transplaner RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter. That is at D-M-I-T-R-Y-O-P-I-N-E-S. And Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy believing in the power of D&D and Transplaner's potential to grow, tell great stories, and lift up our community. Explain Trade trains negotiators for governments, big companies, NGOs, and offers e-learning courses for individuals looking to get a better deal from their boss. Level up your charisma score and check out explaintrade.com. Hey there, thank you for tuning in to Trans Planar RPG. We are an all transgender, people of color led, 100% homebrew, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition live streamed actual play campaign set in an original non colonial anti orientalist world. I am your game master, Connie, my pronouns are they, he, and she, and my cast is as follows. C. Thomas plays Oka Hien, an Osamar Bloodhunter. Max Guo plays Dewey Quirk, an Aarakocra Artificer. Erica Flaidlin plays V. Scherzo, an Elf Sorcerer. Valiant Dorian plays Vasca, a Yuanti Bard. Hamna Shahid plays Jaron Cotter, a Dragonborn Rogue. Dare Hickman plays Gentle, a Triton Monk. Quinn B. Rodriguez plays Sitlali, a Changeling Cleric. And Austin Knight plays Abiku Ishtar, a Reborn Goliath Ranger. So, with that out of the way, here are the content warnings for this episode. Content warnings for this episode include complex and complicated relationships, romance, flirting, references to sexual entanglements, fantasy violence, and death. Arc 6, Episode 10. I Beg for Invisible Fire. From time-lapse video of trans woman collapsing inward like a dying star by J. Jennifer Espinoza. We open in a wood. Tall trees bristle with dark branches, sap seeping through cracks in brown bark. Bushes tremble with rabbits, foxes, deer. Colorful flowers bloom in clusters of white, red, velvet. The smell of pollen thickens the air alongside the smell of gunpowder. Abiku, you stagger from the force of the sucker punch, and you land in a thicket of thorny vines that bite and tear your skin with glee. The draconic mage cuts an intimidating path through the trees toward you, all muscle and fury and barely restrained uh, excitement. Her teeth are bright white, her skin dark, her hair in short, elegant twists that fall into her eyes. And every step she takes toward you stirs dead leaves, twigs, the soil itself and swirls around her as though she were surrounded, blessed by the very essence of wind. And as she raises her hand into a fist to punch you again, you see that her knuckles are crackling with purple lightning and lavender scales rhyme up her throat and her eyes are vibrant and brown and alive and now she's hurtling at you like at like breakneck speed this woman's going you picked a good day to die mage i just did my hair oh no i don't think i die here uh what's your armor class <laughs> 16 we will see we'll see uh and you're going my back <laughs> <laughs> Connie, Connie, be ki- Connie, killing PCs off in backstory flashes. Uh, Chong, <laughs> you are going to take 
six points of bludgeoning damage and 12 points of lightning damage to the face. Uh, do I resist ahead. this lightning damage? You do not. Not here. Okay. Not now. Not like this. So. I was wondering. Exactly. And it's like a freaking like cannonball just pummeling you in the side of the jaw as I, as I think you're like starting to get up from the thorn bush and she just winds yeah. up and bam, like back into the bushes. Okay. Oh, what? Wait, 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 wait. I didn't. Sun was looking for you and I was going to bring Sun to you. Wait, 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 wait. You were threatening my companion and with every Incorrect. like. <laughs> Every word she's, I think, trying to get on you and straddle you and, like, pummel you, I think, among mm -hmm. the thorns. Are you resisting her? I mean, I'm not going to let her, like, punch me in the face, so I'm trying to explain. Okay, make, like, a grappling contest. So use athletics, right, against her as she's, like, or or acrobatics, up to you. Uh, that is acrobatics. <laughs> if I use my normal stats, that's a 21. Uh, okay, you hold your own. Uh, I'm just going to roll for her real fast. Ooh! That is a natural 18. So the two of you are just like wrestling back and forth in the thorns. And I think you take another mm -hmm. like two uh, piercing damage from all mm -hmm. of the thorns, just like clawing and biting against your armor as you're just rolling around. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? You're not, that's not what's going on. Sun look terrified. And that's what uh, gigantic mages do, right? You take our friends prisoner for ransom. I, I I, maybe I don't, I'm going to be real, I don't know. Uh, I am not, I am from here, but I'm not from this time from here. It's hard to explain. I am me from the future, seeing me from the past, I think. She, she stops wailing on you for like half a second. And I think there's a moment where you're surrounded by these vines and these prickles and these thorns and these roses. And you're like on your back and she's on you and her fist is drawn mm -hmm. back. And she's also gashed up a little bit from all the thorns. And she mm -hmm. goes, what? Y your skills are pretty. I, I, and then you hear a voice, a familiar voice cut in uh, the voice of one son just sort of ring out across this forested clearing. Uh, and Sun goes, wait, Shrini, they're telling the truth. I don't think she was actually going to capture or hurt me. If she was, she was doing a really bad job of it. And she does seem a little out of sorts. Uh, this like obsidian scale Drake sort of says from behind this person, Shrini. Uh, and they look from their companion to you, back to their companion, back to you. And they like, I think they shove you aside kind of hard, but they like get up, you know, and back away a little bit from you. Yeah. What are you playing at here, huh? Harnesser? Uh, I, that's a new word. What does that word mean? It's what you do. You harness magic through tools and weapons and implements. You don't, you don't let it flow oh, through you. like we use magic different. Is that bad? Uh, yeah, of course it's bad. I mean, that's what everyone says. Anyway. What if... Some people just can't use magic. Like, I don't think I can do what you do. That's pretty cool. I need stuff. Oh, I mean, you you could. You could do what I did if you just trained at it. I mean, that's the whole point, right? All of us have a choice about the kind of magic we do, why we do it, how we do it. You oh. choose to wield that bow. I choose to just punch you in the face with my lightning fist. That is, that is neat. So if I learned I could... Could I... Could we both do what each other do? Well, 
Well, well, yes, y- yes, we could. Oh, okay. Why, why do you punch me then? Because I thought, I thought you were gonna take Sun away. But if you're not, if oh. you're not here to take my Drake as prisoner, then perhaps, perhaps, gigantic mage, I can, uh, I can let you go. Yeah, that is no. I would kill anyone who tried to hurt Sun. Don't worry. A, a Sun just sort of quirks their head to the side and goes, "But I, I hardly know you." Oh right! In the future, we are we are very good friends. This whole future thing. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. What? What's your name? Oh, I am a Biku. Sorry, and I put my hand out. Her I don't, hand? Do we shake hands here, or do we? Do you do yeah, something yeah, else? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, only. But only people who aren't going to attack each other immediately typically shake hands. And you see she's considering, she's still like flexing her hand to a fist and then back into an open palm and then a fist again. She's not sure if she should trust you quite yet, right? But she's looking between Sun and you and your weird demeanor and like your lack of aggression toward her. And she's just going, well, I know your, I know your superiors would probably chew you out, maybe even punish you if they knew you let... You let me go. Uh, I will be real. I don't know if I'll be here for that to happen, so I don't really care. You're going to be a deserter? Oh, no. I mean, like, so again, I am me from the future, and then there's me from me from right now, and the me from right now might have a problem, but that's her problem. And I think, like, she is sort of, like, take, taking it in, like, shaking her head and, like, waving her hand kind of fast as you're saying this, like, oh, this is, like, nonsense. And she just goes, Shrinyi. My name's Shrinyi. That's it. That's a nice name. Thank you. Uh, not that I... You know what? Just... This... This never happened. Okay? Oh. Because if your... If your queens found out, and the leaders of mm-hmm. my orders, my fangs, found out, then we'd, mm-hmm. we'd both... We'd both be in, in, in trouble. Well... Why? Because <laughs> we're on different sides of this war. What if we weren't, though? I... What... I guess I am a little sick of all the fighting, and this isn't really a proper way to raise and grow with a companion together, and... I mean, you are right, it's it's just different forms of magic, and... I mean, everyone says we're fighting for pride, and because it's the right thing to do, but it is... It's... And you see, like, the more you're just sort of asking why to this person, who you get the impression that she's just kind of been a soldier her whole life? A little bit, mm-hmm. maybe, like... Who you suspect you used to be but something about the way you're just like questioning her is making her start because you get the feeling no one has ever asked her these questions before or like showed her this perspective so she like lowers her 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 fists like fully and like starts to have like this kind of dark look come over her face as she's wrestling with this quandary um i guess what i mean is like if we are friends then we are on the same side right yeah, but, but, I mean, my fang says that if we're friends with gigantic mages, that's as good as being a traitor. And I, I don't know, I, this oh, is I, tantamount to treason, but. Uh, well, I, I don't want to make you get in trouble. I just, I, I, I legitimately do not know why we are all fighting again. I'm me from the future and I don't know what happened here. So I don't get, was it like someone like assassinate somebody's leader or what what happened well everyone says and i think interrupting her is like a really loud explosion coming from the battlefield that you left 
to come into the forest to find her from. Like a really loud bang noise as like another cannon goes off. And I think she flinches in response. And you all sort of see like a hot ball of fire streak through the wood. Like maybe a hundred feet uh, to your west, right? You see like a hot flame just sort of lick through the shadows and hurtle through the branches and just hit, like, it sounds like it hits like a body of water because you see it like disappear under the ridge of a slope and then and sizzle and splash and you see some steam go up. She goes, ah, shit. All right, people are going to be here any moment now. Just let's meet back here. All right, uh, three days. Oh. Same time, same place. Yeah, one second. And I think he takes out like, I'm try- I think she takes out like an like an arrow and just puts like a three on her hand. <laughs> and you're like trying to re- like give yourself this message. Yeah, like like three day like three days uh, and puts coordinates or something. What are you doing? It's like ooh, I make sure I remember. I have a very bad memory. You don't need to hurt yourself. Hold on. I'll just as she like reaches into her very much more well stocked pack and pulls out like paper and like a, a piece of charcoal and scribbles oh. on it. Right, <laughs> like directions like for my what to do. Dewey. He always has paper on him. Dewey, what kind of a name is Dewey? I don't know. He was he sounds he was weak nice, though. Spineless. Uh, and she hands you this slip of paper that is written <laughs> in Ba and has the instructions for what to do. And as soon as you take it, you start to feel lightheaded. And like everything's oh. starting to move away. If I attack you, I am sorry. <laughs> uh, you just sort of hear her her voice say as it drifts kind of far and long away from you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I have to go to order shells. They keep coming. Uh, I'll see you later. All right, Ishtar. Just br- bring some books maybe about this and, and we can talk and d- don't tell anyone. And you can sort of like hear her footsteps like peeling off, I think, into the underbrush along with along with suns. And then... Abiku, your eyes fly open, and you gasp awake. And the Medward smells like incense and bitter herbal remedies. Sunless light filters through a window, and Tomba's comatose form lies on a bed before you. This half-elf woman's chest rising and falling in deep, dreamless slumber. You're alone. I think what I do is I take out Sun's skull since no one's here. And I, I look at him like, do you remember when you met me in the woods? Yeah. Yeah. It's starting to come back slowly, like, like putting a droplet of dye in a glass of water and it starts to fill up the water. You know what I mean? I think every yes. time you go into a trance, I... I remember a little bit too. Do you do you remember what happens next? Do you remember who your your friend before me was? Shuni. Yeah. Yeah. Shuni, she she raised me. She was my friend. She was my companion. She she And then you feel a presence brimming in your mind, adjacent to suns, soft. At first, I think fuzzy on the edges of your perception, a familiar presence, all dark feather and shining eyes, the smell of grave dirt, blood, wicker, wax. And the weave sort of pulls apart around you gently, gently, like a bird's nest coming undone. And then you hear her voice and sun sort of fade out as like this presence takes hold instead in your head, 
and the Raven Queen, Abiku, speaks. Abiku Ishtar, my child, she is close to the end, is she not? Um, oh, you mean Dumbo? She is close to me. I can sense her as I sense you, walking the thin edge between life and death. I mean, you gave me and Rev a pass. Maybe you could give Tamba a pass so she can say goodbye to her wife? I told you before, Apiku Ishtar, in the tomb, that I cannot give you the answers you seek, child. Truth from the maw of a god, even a shattered one, can destroy the soul. But she, close as she is to me, she can give you answers. In her dreamless, ever slumber, I can reach her for you. We can reach her together. Okay. She won't get hurt, will she? She will be okay? It is simply a conversation. Okay, as long as she will be okay, I want to, as long as she is okay. I can sense her soul. Weakened, fragile, but still present within her cage, within her body. You reaching out to her with my power, you will not harm her. Okay, I I will try. You know how to do this, Abiku Ishtar. Your own dreamless ever slumber. You need only focus. Uh, I'll focus on the feeling of being inanimate, or like on that, like uh, that empty feeling. Mm. Uh, what's the point in this room that you zone out on? I think it's uh, Tamba's face. So if anyone mm. sees me, it looks like I'm just like looking at her. Just staring at her. Yeah. Okay. You sit there in your chair and you look at Tomba's like very handsome, I think chiseled, very uh, butch kind of features and, and face with that like kind of short, dark hair. Just looking like she's like very peaceful, like she's sleeping. Right. But you know, she's comatose. As you look at her face, I think your peripheral vision starts to get really soft and you begin to zone out like you do when you're not dreaming, right? When you're not sleeping, when you just sort of shut down. And in this state, your mind, I think, uh, sort of drifting off, off and away from your body through the top of your skull, you feel the Raven Queen's presence swirling around you in a soft flurry of feathers, a whisper of a thousand different bird songs just bristling and, and, and trimming and humming past your ears. And you feel, I think a third presence beckoned toward you like a leaf on the wind. If the Raven Queen is the wind and you are another leaf traveling through it and you feel her. Tomba Denyan. Um, uh, hello. Can you hear me? The voice? 
and it rings through your head is kind of sharp, hard edges like corrugated metal or a rusted lock. But there's something also almost soft about it, like a fighter that's retired. Uh, and Tamba sort of speaks to you and says, uh, I, I know you. Oh, good. That, that is what I was hoping for. Uh, Biku Ishtar. Artillery, yes, yes, yes. Your artillery lieutenant, Cloud Kingdom. Oh, that is mostly new information. What are you... What are you doing here? Where am... How did I... What is this? Okay, okay, I will start... So you are in the Iron Citadel where Tyrion stays? I don't know if that's good or bad. I was hoping you could tell me if that's okay for you. He says someone poisoned you, but it super wasn't him. I don't know about that. The jury's still out. Um, I, I, I can't hear your your voice completely. You're fading in and and out like like mist. Oh, but but the more I focus on you, on on who you were, it it becomes clearer. It's tethering me. I I, I think Biku Ishtar. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I respected you. You and, and Shrin Yi both, I... I mourned you. Oh, oh, okay, so me and Shrin Yi became friends, that's good. Uh, <laughs> I... You were more than friends. Like... Oh, it, no, wait, like, how? I don't care what people say, you weren't weak. Neither of you were weak. You didn't... You didn't fail us. We... We failed you. We were... Well, no, she had a very strong right hook. <sighs> no, no. Even her strength and your cunning, and together the two of you were almost... You were close, Abiku Ishtar, and you tried, and that's what's important, and we were too full of hatred and arrogance to listen to you. I am... I am so sorry, Abiku Ishtar. Wait, wait, what happened? I, I, so I, I am alive again, kind of. But what, what is, what, what happened? What do you mean? Your voice, it, it is shattered. It is shattered through the mist, like fire dissipating against ice. Oh, but when I pull on it, when I speak toward it, it clarifies. Answers. That's what you're seeking, isn't it? You deserve answers. Um, yes, I, I tried to give you some, but it seems the, whatever this is doesn't want you to know where you are. Uh, then let me tell you everything. And the more I speak, I think the more I can hear. But Abiku Ishtar, if you are here, if you are back from the dead... Well, then you must be back for a reason. Yes, I keep saying that. It's like a whole thing. Then let me tell you everything. And on that, we cut to Jaron. Jaron, you and Gentle 
are exploring the citadel, I think. Uh, the breakfast time is over. The very sweet exchange of the earplug as a gift is said and done. Uh, so I want the two of you to tell me, how are you going about, I think, attempting to find the tapestry of the First Stranger War? Jaron has a map of not a lot of the citadel. As you mentioned, the citadel is very, very large. And even though Jaron attempted to sort of map out as much of it as he could, they were really only able to get a small corner of it. But even still, he sort of has this map out that he's created and has shown gentle and is sort of using that as a guide, I think, to maybe ascertain or like make an educated guess about what the rest of the Citadel might look like or where certain clusters of items might be held just based on information that he's gathered about like, oh, like this looks like an area that's mostly where people have like their uh, their rooms or their, uh, their barracks. So like probably not over there. And like this over here looks like where a lot of the like uh, kitchen area is or a lot of the uh, displays for like monster artifacts or something like that. So I think he's trying to like use that map that he's created um, with Gentle's help uh, based on their information around the Citadel as well to try and like maybe pinpoint where we think it the tapestry for the Stranger War might be. And how are you assisting in this endeavor, Gentle? Um, I think Gentle is generally more perceptive than Jerome. Um, like Jaron's, I think this even goes back to like when these two would hunt. Gentle's the one who notices the little subtle things. Um, and I think that's the second set of eyes is always more useful in that way. So I think while Jaron's consulting the map and like sort of like noting places that he he's already marked, uh, you will just like, I think, gently nudge him through the corridor that like looks suspicious that he should probably go down that like was on his map circled as a, we should investigate this place. But he's like walking right past it because he's being a little unaware and like looking at stuff. So the two of you, I think, kind of cover each other's blind spots for lack of a better term. Jaron is very analytical, very thorough, very by the book, while Gentle is intuitive and perceptive. And I think put together, the two of you soon, like, I think, get to a part of the Citadel that feels, for lack of a better term, like, correct. Like, both of you get, like, you especially, Gentle, kind of like a gut instinct that you're getting closer to the tapestry. And I think what's contributing to this gut instinct is the weave. Uh, the weave is thick here in the Citadel. It's particularly prominent. I think, Duran, it took you a minute because you're still kind of new to magic to really notice it, but it sort of thrums and sings and bends and warps in every piece of stone that comprises the walls of this castle. And Gentle, I think you've been even more prescient of this uh, factoid. The weave tenses and swirls and bends, and I think almost like guides you all toward like a deeper part of the citadel down like particular staircases that Jaron might have missed like up like a hidden passageway that you marked Jaron and eventually I think the two of you round a corner completely in like a completely empty abandoned like there aren't even any guards in this corridor which is interesting uh you round a corner it's like weirdly nondescript and you see a massive oak door the end of this corridor with no guards, no one around. Just a tongue of red carpet leading up to it. Whispering too gentle, even though there's nobody around, I think Jaron isn't quite believing that nobody's actually around. 
And just asking Connie, even with blind sense, like there's nobody, like nobody's hidden or invisible. No. Nope. What's your what's your range for blind sense or blind sight? Ten feet. So no. Yeah, definitely, definitely no one within ten feet of you for sure. It seems odd that in a citadel with many, many magical artifacts, that they would leave this area unguarded. It feels mm-hmm. like a trap. I'm hopeful it isn't, but that's probably. Um, not a bad idea to be extra careful. Um, maybe they have it ranked by order of, like, most secure to least secure. Right. I mean, but if if behind that door there is what we're looking for, don't you think that would count as high security? True, but I mean, how many people would come here if looking for that in particular? I suppose we'll find out. And Jaron, I think... If you would like to, gentle. Sure. <laughs> um, but before before you do, uh, Jaron is going to place a hand on Gentle's back, uh, their lower back specifically, and cast Sanctuary. So that same sort of holographic tail that formed around V's body when we were fighting on the shore uh, just outside of the citadel, that same tail kind of forms around Gentle's body as well to protect them in case anything goes off and tries to hurt them. Thank you. All right, uh, DM, I'd like to check it out. Uh, okay, Gentle, as make me a perception check. All right, I'm, I'm nervous. I don't, I don't have much trust in this. And then the door explodes and Gentle dies. Oh, famously, I'm pretty explosive proof. Um, that's a 19. Uh, Gentle, as you approach the door, you stalk down this carpet, leaving Jaron behind. I think maybe keep an eye on your backs and also just scanning this hallway. You walk past these like tall marble archways on either side of you with like little nooks, I think in the wall that have like these big like statues, these big like rock statues of like, you assume they're like famous looking people, but I don't think you recognize any of them. Or actually, why don't we roll history? I don't want to prescribe what you know and don't know, roll history. Well, okay, an 11. I'm smarter than I realized, an 11. 11, you don't recognize them. Uh, no, they don't, they don't, they don't ring a bell to you, but the way that their clothes are carved, the dress looks ancient, right? These are historical figures, uh, that look like they maybe even predate people from the gambit of Queens. This is like kind of ancient history situation. Uh, as you walk toward that door, no traps are triggered. No fireball comes flinging out of like one of their mouths, you know, no spike pit opens up, you know, beneath the illusory carpet. No, none of that. You actually get right up to that oak door, uh, close enough to see with your 19 that there's a specific kind of carving uh, along the wood. And there is, I think, in this beautiful runic script that's sort of broken in half down the middle, a request written in ancient Morosi. Now, you understand every spoken language. How does that translate to written languages? See, that's, I, I, no, it specifically mentions speaking. Uh, I know Morosi, though. <laughs> I'm from here. So I think you would recognize, like, some of the characters look similar, but you have no idea what it says. And there are no handles or knobs on this door, just a seam down the middle. I think at that, I politely do an about face and just come <laughs> grab Jaron. 
before uh, we move forward, I just want to ask the GM, uh, these statues that are outside of this store in the corridor that we're in, does Jaron recognize any of them? You can roll history. Go for it. Oh, man, I got an 11 as well. <laughs> oh, no, uh, bestie. We both skipped ancient Morosi history that day. Okay, with your 11... Yeah, we were absent in school. You notice the same thing, but I'll give you another added detail. I just won't tell you what it means, uh, which is that pretty much all of these statues seem to have interesting... They're all of, like, people people, but they seem particularly large. Like, the stat, the shortest statue is, like, eight feet. Right, they're huge, almost like um, like coffin statues, right? Like, like larger than life, uh, and all of them have interesting quirks. Like some of them, you see, like uh, the stone has been indented up their throat or along their arms to like almost look like scales rhyming up, and some of them have like tufts of fur or like a mane, like a lion's, you know, like etc. Uh, etc. Et like interesting features sprout from their bodies. Okay, I think while Gentle was going to the door, um, they were keeping an. Jaron was keeping an eye on Gentle, but also kind of like examining these statues. And when Gentle comes back, presumably to ask for help with the door, uh, Jaron will also go up to it. And examining these different markings, you said that they have some characters that are similar to Morosi, uh, like current Morosi language, but not entirely. Do any of the other characters kind of resemble Ba in any way, linguistically? Yes, absolutely. Okay, in that case, I would like to ask if I can misuse my linguist ability, which technically lets me create like written ciphers um, that other people can't discern. Can I reverse yeah, engineer yeah, yeah. it? Uh, okay. roll, roll intelligence for me and okay. p pick a skill under the intelligence ability and tell me how okay. you would like to leverage it. Uh, I'm going to use investigation specifically. Makes sense. Do it. Yeah. Uh, so what I rolled is a 29. <sighs> now, if only you rolled that to know when to mind your business. Uh, so, Jaron, I'm still not over, Ravi. Uh, you... <laughs> it's your idea! Okay, anyway. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Anyway. Not only do you approximate what the characters say on the statues, you, with a 29, approximate what the door says, too. So, the statues are ancient Ba, and maybe you even have a cipher written out on in your notes that you're consulting, that you've taken notes from, like, Abiku, when, like, learning Ba from her, right? Like, going through all the old books that you can find at Dr. Luso's. And it takes you, with a 29, maybe only, like, a minute to match it up, and there are names at the base of each statue. I think maybe the statue you're standing in front of is of it appears to be like an older man. He looks very austere. He has like a big, I think, winter coat, like with huge like wolf, like dire wolf fur, like hanging off of his pauldrons and like a long cape that goes down. And his hands are clasped on top of his fingers are braced together, like interwoven. And like the masonry is incredible. Like you can see ice particles coming off of his hands that look so lifelike, you know, and like almost like sparking like against his like kind of cold like gaze on his face. Uh, and the name underneath it is Zalam the White. And you see another one that's along the lines of Pira the Green. Uh, another one has a longer title, 
uh, that says Lord Ilias of the Golden Order. And she's like a large, like, I think like a Minotaur-like woman uh, that has like, I think like almost like sunbeams coming off of like the pauldrons on her shoulders, stuff like that. With a 29, there is one statue that stands apart from the rest at the end of the hallway by the door. The style of the masonry looks different, like a completely different artist made it from every single other one, right? It's very obvious, like comparing like Michelangelo's carving from someone else's, right? But no less beautiful, just different. And this one is the only statue that features someone holding a weapon. All the other statues seem unarmed. They're just sort of adorned by just raw magic coming off of their bodies. This one is a kind of tall woman, I think, with this like long hair, because the statue is also kind of marvelous. You can't tell what color her skin or her hair is, right? But it's kind of long, goes down, I think, in like a single braid down her back. She looks very regal and her hand uh, are covered in these thick gauntlets and she's holding like the pommel of a sword and the blade of the sword seems to be on fire. And she's wearing, I think, like a half plate, like a half cape, and like these, like, I think, metal bracers and big, like, metal, like, steel boots. And even the craftsmanship of her name is different. Like, the style is different, and the kind of ba seems to almost be a different dialect. Because her name doesn't go by the other naming conventions. This one says, Visanti of the Fire Kingdom. And there is a single rose at her feet, like a beautiful red rose that is fresh. Like someone left it there. Gentle, gentle, get over here. Okay, uh, and I do. And I think Jaron is staring wide-eyed at this plaque that I imagine is at like about eye level. When Gentle arrives, they point to the plaque and they read it out. Basanti of the Fire Kingdom. Huh. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah. Um, and then should we should we go maybe find uh, everyone else and tell them about this? Yeah, I think that is going to be important. Whether or not this is meant to be and I think that Jaron lets that thought trail off and looks back more closely at the face of this statue. Does it resemble V at all? It It's not V. It's a completely different person who looks a little similar, but not very. Like this, like she has, like you see, like maybe in the cheekbones, there's some similarity and maybe in the taper of the ear, but that's it. Like a, a passing resemblance that now that you know the name is Visanti seems like more than just a coincidence. Yeah, and I think taking all of that in, Jaron just kind of absentmindedly thinking out loud says, some sort of long relative from a long time ago, maybe. I think we need to see what's behind that door. Yeah. Uh, I'll be honest, I almost forgot about the door with this. Um, yeah, yeah, I can't. I don't think I can read that. Do you mind? Yeah. And Jaron will walk up to the door and see if they can translate the runes that are on the door itself. Yes, you can with the 29 from earlier. These runes are not ba. Uh, these runes are from the Gambit of Queens. Sort of like, you know, Latin to English right? Uh, if Ba is like, 
I don't know, Mesopotamian script <laughs> to English, right? Like that's kind of the, the difference. And these runes say, as you consult your cipher, in ancient Morosi, weave me a tale that's never been told. And Jaron will read that out loud for a gentle. Hmm. Do you have any ideas of a tale that hasn't been told? And Jaron, I think, like, sits down cross-legged in front of the door, kind of looks up at Gentle in anticipation. Gentle follows. The only thing that I can think of would be stories between us that we didn't tell anybody. Maybe. I mean, that's not a bad idea. Okay, you go first. What is your favorite time that we skipped school? Hmm. I think Gentle racks in mind for a second. Um, probably the first, no, the second time. Because the first time, you could have just wanted to skip school because, you know, you're, you're you. And I think the second time was my favorite because we didn't really even do anything. We just kind of wanted to skip to prove we could. And the fact you wanted to do it a second time meant that the first time was fun enough. Yeah, I remember there was a kid that was making fun of us and saying that we weren't cool enough to skip school, that we were just goody two-shoes who couldn't possibly do a single wrong thing. And I figured, well, that's stupid. We could definitely prove them wrong. I mean... Plus, I liked hanging out with you. Gentle, like, has a split-second, like, moment of panic. And they're like, well... To be fair, I didn't want to skip after that, um, but you were really focused on proving proving them wrong. So, I mean, they were kind of right? No, they weren't. Look, just because we chose not to skip school more often than not doesn't mean that we can't do it. I just had to show that kid that they were wrong. That's all. That we can do it, we just choose not to. You have so much Th This door is not budging. The two of you have been weaving this door. It is not moving. <laughs> John looks up at the door. And I think your eyes stick to that word in ancient Morosi weave. And in modern context, Morosi weave means it could be metaphorical. But in ancient Morosi, it was literal. Gentle, do you have anything for us to, any thread? Wait, why am I asking you? And Jaron will go to their head to their horns and pull off a few strands of the strings that are on his horns and hold them out to Gentle. Do you have any sticks we can use? Uh, hmm. I don't exactly have uh, needles, but... Um, and I think Gentle probably does, just because they have a lot of little odds and ends around. They tend to sew their own patchwork pants together and stuff, so... Uh, yeah, I actually happen to have a couple, so, um, don't poke yourself with them. It hurts a lot, but otherwise you should be fine. I was thinking we could actually do this together. Start from opposite ends, meet in the middle. And I think what Jaron is proposing is maybe a very specific traditional style of Morosi, like, tapestry weaving, or weaving in general, where 
uh, it's meant to be a collaborative storytelling technique where you have one person on one end, the other person on the other end, and you start with your own sort of uh, versions of the stories. And the idea is to like, like literally weave them together in the middle and bring them together to tell a cohesive story. And I think the way that it's meant to be read is from outside in. I love that. I want the two of you to make a joint sleight of hand check. Dexterity. For a rogue, I really don't actually have... <gasps> okay, not 20! Not 20, baby! Let's go! Let's go! I got a 13. The the nat 20 carries. What's, what's the total on that, Jerome? All right. It's a 24. Listen, we're like level 15 now. Anything sub 19 is a bad roll. Okay, 24. As the this weft comes together in the middle, uh, it's when I think both of your stories meet in the center that the two of you hear a click noise, almost like a series of clicks, almost like there's a bunch of locks on the other side of the door or within the wood or something, just sort of like all the way down. I think maybe eight of them in total. Uh, and that seam almost glows like a kind of golden light, like directly down at the center of the weave, like where your stories meet. It glows and then it widens, right? Uh, like wide, 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 this light sweeping over both of your faces as the two massive double doors swing open. And gentle and Jaron past this door, the two of you see a massive, truly ginormous chamber uh, with a gaping chasm in the center that seems perhaps bottomless. And beyond the door, there's maybe only a bare five feet of rocky ledge before it just disappears into the pit. Uh, and you see like all across this like kind of rounded chasm, almost like a dome that you're in, uh, there are like tunnels and hallways interspersing the, the walls at like various heights. Uh, like there are various entrances here into what feels almost like a heart of the Citadel, if not the heart, maybe at least one of them, right? Uh, but I think your eye is drawn to the center of this chamber where whirling quick, and furious and hard, spinning and spinning and spinning are huge, colorful rings. Several dozen rings just whirling concentrically around each other, wobbling on these uneven axes. And upon closer inspection, after you like take this in for half a second, you realize these aren't actually rings, they're corridors. They're hallways. You see people walking through the rings as they're whirling around, uh, like you're looking at them from the ceiling, and you recognize different parts of the citadel, right? You see a hallway leading to the kitchen where the two of you had stew. You see a corridor adjacent to your bedrooms. You even see like the foyer with its like Tarasque skeleton in the center. Uh, and the people walking through these whirling colorful rings, these corridors, don't seem to notice either of you or the fact that they are being projected in a chamber at all, right? They're just sort of going about their business like it's normal. And floating in the center of these whirling rings, almost like it's being guarded by them, like a globe in the middle of an armillary sphere, is the tapestry of the First Stranger War. And we are going to cut to V. V, you are in Tyrion's study. Ice cream, I think, has long been eaten at this point. There, like, I think we pan across the top of this wooden table where we see like cards are out, like a mahjong game has been started and discarded. There's like several like like poker bits, like dice 
you know, in, in like a metal tray. We also see like various amenities, like the, the wrappers of candies and little like crumbs on plates and whatnot. Like we sweep across all of this and pan up to Tyrion, who's sort of like, <laughs> he's like laughing jovially, sort of reclining in his seat a little bit, like his uh, salt and pepper beard, like a bit of his hair kind of coming out of this like tight, I think, gelled sweep that he almost always has it in, but some of it is, has come loose and like it's falling in his face a little as he's laughing along, I think telling you some sort of, um, silly story. Uh, and V, where do we find you amidst his, one of his offices? Um, I think V is probably has found herself like a really comfortable, like shade lounge somewhere. It's probably like surrounded by like, there's probably some like books on sorcery stuff. There's probably a few magical artifacts around and V's just like, this is the life that V always dreamed for herself of just like lavished all around her with all this finery. And I think compared to some of the, the feelings that sort of like distrust, I think V is allowing herself to laugh at the story and seem like in a more trusting place than probably when we last met her with the last conversation they had. I think enough time has gone by with her. Th things are letting loose with V. Yeah, and I think he's, he's in the middle of delivering the, a punchline to the story he's telling, and he goes, and then the Kusin Guild member says, it's not my mule. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> oh, God. Right, man. right. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah. Girl, yeah. I heard that nine years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nine years ago. That's all. Mm. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that Kusin girl. I've had many, many experiences with them. Oh, sometimes uh, not so good. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I, I hear from, you know, my eyes and ears everywhere that the Kusin Guild are actually, they're starting to get, you know, ever since the carnival, they've been dissolved, which is... Good, good. Less, less crime. That's that's good. That's good. Yeah, you, they um, they were a little scary there when uh, I ran into them during all mm. that time. Uh, probably is a good thing that they're no longer here. Oh, Visante, you've you've been through so much, so many adventures. I loved that uh, cactus story you told me. A really fun one. <laughs> you're so you're so charming. You're so charismatic and you're you're so beautiful too yet you're so smart you really take after your mother oh i think that like literally stops me um i uh, that's a compliment uh it I is not... it is papaya papaya nakshirzo and he sort of looks off with like a wistful expression in his gaze Oh, we had some fun times. Some fun times. She's told she told me a lot about you while she was still alive. Did she? <laughs> oh yes. That makes sense. I, I wish I wish I mean again, I, I wish I knew you existed. I wish Well well that's what that's why we're doing this. We're making up for lost time. Uh, I I look forward to making up for lost time. it's unfortunate that uh According to many a prophecy, my time on Nandake is very short. Well, you know, if, you're, if your old man has anything to do with it, that won't be the case. I've been alive 15,000 years. I've acquired a trick or two up my sleeve. We can, we can, we can. The stranger thing, it's, well, second time it's tried to end Nandake, you know. But that's, that's not, we don't have to talk. You know, uh, well, we could talk shop in, in a couple of days. Enjoy, enjoy. You know, let's let's not bring down the mood. Let's talk about let's talk about your mother. Let's talk about let's talk about Paya, Paya Nakshirzo. Yeah, 
tell me. I've always been curious. The one thing that my mother was always uh, a little... She hid from me was uh, how you two met. <sighs> that That is a good story. And uh, you know what? You know what? I've never told anyone this story. So you're my first audience. Which, which is fitting. Did you know that a long time ago, Paya Nokshirzo was an Oransa. Mm-hmm. In the Yuki tribe. Jukai. I did, she had never said that to me. Well, being an Oransa, it's nothing nothing to brag about, exactly. But uh she was she was hardworking, she was smart, she was she was ambitious. She was. I, I met her while I was um I forget. I forget why I was in Jukai, but I was on business, I'm sure. I was always traveling for business back in those days. Not anymore. Not anymore. I have other things to work on. But I met her. I met her, uh... <laughs> Actually, I met her on Adolin. All those years ago, it was an Adolin celebration. She was hanging lights. I was there, uh, on the eve of, and... Actually, she was she was being yelled at <laughs> by the lord of her tribe because she'd forgotten to put the lights up until the night of. But she was insistent that she had put them up uh, in advance and that some, I think some troublesome daughter or son or child of a head of household was trying to pick on her. So they took the lights down. And I remember, even though she was in Aranza, she stood up for herself. That's what, that's what drew me to her. Wow, that's... I can see now where you may see some of me in my mother. Well, the two of you were very, are very alike. You both have ambition. Yes, I, I loved that about your mother. She had big dreams for herself. Big dreams, big dreams. She would always say, she would always say she wasn't a servant of fate. She was in control of her own destiny. I, I like that about her. So I whisked her away on many an adventure and I, you know, I I felt for her. Felt for her position, that she was so competent and yet all these fools around her went out of their way to keep her at that at that social level. So I, yeah, might have helped her a little. Gave her a little bit of magic, you know. I mean, me as a draconic mage, I, well, not to polish my own diamond, but we, or I suppose just Myself and Tamba Denyan now, we have knowledge of magic that is much more ancient and powerful than any magic here in Endake. So I was able to help your mother out, and before we knew it, she was a lady. That's right, not just the head of household, she rose to become Lady Nakshirzo of the Yuki tribe. That's... She never mentioned that whatsoever. Really? During during my time, she was pretty uh, withdrawn from any of any society, let alone the Jukai tribes. Huh. That's odd. Well, no, 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 no. She was she was a lady. She was she was up there. No, no. I. Well, I mean, I. And he sort of like stops talking and sort of, you know, lollygagging and boasting a little bit and, like, commiserating and starts looking a little dark, a little remorseful. Well, I... I suppose I wasn't really aware of that because, um... Well, I had to leave. You know, we spent a couple years together, maybe a few months, maybe uh, three years, 13, it, yeah. And he just sort of gestures blasely. 
uh, you know, 15,000 years, it all, it all blends together after a bit. But we spent, we spent some time together. I don't recall how much time, but it was some. And then I, well, I had to, I had to do something else. And, um, well, next I knew I, I, she was dead. Next thing you know, 17 years later, after the fact, she's dead. I think there's very clear, uh, V, uh, is no longer jovial at all in this. Vasanti, when you get to be my age, I mean, I'm a myriad and a half years old. That's life, time passes like that. It's nothing. It's nothing to me. Yesterday, it was 3,000 years ago. It was 9,000 years ago. I can remember days 10,392 days ago with perfect clarity. I forget entire decades, decades, centuries, I forget. Gone, unremarkable. Your mother, I remember all the good times. I do, I do, the good times, right? That's what was important. I don't, I don't ever recall saying goodbye. I remember saying goodbye. Visanti, your legacy is your mother Everything she worked for, everything she stood for, her ambition, her drive, her beauty, her intelligence. Your legacy, Byzanti, is also me. She gave you what she could of her legacy. She told you stories. She raised you the best she could into this brilliant young woman. I see it. I see the fire in your eyes. I see the fire you wield in your blood. In my blood. But I... I have not yet shared my legacy with you, my daughter, and I feel perhaps, perhaps I should. Perhaps I ought. Yeah, maybe you should. Well, it begins where it feels like every part of my life both begins and ends with. And at the exact same time, we cut to a biku in a meditative state talking to Tamba, and Tamba says, With the Thousand-Year War. You were born during it. I was... I was born before. It began as an intellectual disagreement. Back then, there were two ways of wielding magic. You could either channel its raw power as a draconic mage or harness and refine it through weaponry and artifice and tools as a gigantic mage but all of us we were we were the same people we were all titans and as titans we possessed the innate ability to assume a a, a greater form a form that brought us closer to the gods to the eight that made us Draconic mages, we could turn into what what they now call dragons. And gigantic mages, well, you all could turn into what they call giants. Transforming, uh, shifting, as we called it. It, it took years of, of practice, of, of training, of, of discipline and, and rigor. Gigantic mages who tried to shift draconic without preparation, they, they not only failed, they turned into monsters. Visanti. That's right. The first monsters of Andake used to be people. People who flew too close to Galtanger and fell. 
mages who tried to shift the wrong way without training. If they died, well, they were lucky. If they were unlucky, they lost all sense of humanity, personhood. There was no turning back to a titan once you were that far gone. You know, these little beasts, these little creatures that they call monsters now that hunt people today and people who hunt them, these monsters, they're actually descendants of these failed transformations. Uh, but I'm, I'm getting off track. Where was I? Uh, oh, right. For years, Abiku, draconic and gigantic mages, we practiced our disciplines in harmony, in peace. Gigantic mages established kingdoms with different cultural heritages, technological applications, philosophies. There was the Frost Kingdom, the Hill Kingdom, the Fire Kingdom, the, the Cloud Kingdom, of which you belonged a dozen, at least likely more, especially in our heyday. In Draconic Mages, well, we established what we called Orders, split into two primary schools of thought, the Metallic Order, of which I was a part of, which valued subtlety, a finesse, compromise, artistry, restraint, and the Chromatic Order, which valued power, strength, courage, honesty. We had our disagreement with the metallic orders, of course, and all their suborders, the coppers, the brass, the gold, the silver, you know, the drill, but at the end of the day, when all was said and done, we practiced our disciplines in relative harmony, aside from the occasional disagreement here and there, but eh, disagreement among friends, you know, among friends. And we weren't just peaceful with other draconic mages, mind you, we were peaceful with the gigantic mages too. I mean, we were all titans, but more than that, we shared the same vision, Vasanti, a utopia crafted from our magic, given to us by the gods, a world free of suffering, free of famine, free of poverty and oppression and ego. That was always the goal, Vasanti, always the ideal. But we disagreed about how to get there. Uh, we argued all the time, constant arguing, while well, even among the orders, the Green Order thought the venomous arts were the way to go to cultivate our, our magic, our tea. The, the Red Order was all about fire. Uh, you would have loved them. Fireballs up the wazoo, but the most passionate arguments we had were always against gigantic mages. I mean, the way they did magic was... I mean, it was just so completely different from any of us, any of the orders. It was so... Inefficient, watered down, roundabout, divested from the gods and godhood. We were never gonna reach Utopia with, with weapons, tools, little implements, arrows, and hammers. No, 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 no. But beyond that, it was the philosophy behind it. Visanti, you would understand as a sorcerer. Gigantic mages, they sought to dominate the natural world. They carved it up with their agriculture and their irrigation and the pollutants they were spilling in the water and... But we, we draconic mages, we, we seek to coexist with it, right? That's part of your legacy, V. That's your heritage. You're a sorcerer. It would be wrong for you to try to control, stop, or manipulate your magic through, through what? These little tinker, these little, <laughs> little wrenches and... No, 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 no. Magic is meant to be free. Abiku Ishtar. The Thousand Year War started with Tyrion the White. He was a skilled mage of the Chromatic Order. I, I knew him 
We were both part of the orders, but but not well. We were we were colleagues. We were peers and intellectual equals. He killed his sister. Visanti, I. It haunts me. To this day. My sister's death. She uh. She was a gigantic mage, uh, a member of the Fire Kingdom. Very talented, very passionate. And we disagreed passionately about the best way to reach this utopia. She came over for dinner one night. It's one of those um, days I remember with startling clarity, even as centuries fold into a miasma of forgetfulness. Came over for dinner, <laughs> handmade dumplings. Things escalated. I forget what started it, but, but, I, but I know she was shouting at me and I was shouting at her and, and all I know, all I know, Visanti, is it ended, it ended with her dead on the floor and I, I was responsible. And Tyrion actually, I think, pulls out a red rose as he's talking about his sister and is sort of like like rolling the stem between his fingers and looking extremely remorsefully at the petals. That was one of the worst nights of my life. 15,000 years that day was one of the worst. It's a regret I harbor to this day. You know, and I always told myself, if I had a child, a daughter, I would name her after my sister. And I did, Visanti. I did. So you gave me my name? I suggested it to Paya. You know, one of the... When you're in love with someone and you go back and forth, what would you do if we just left all of our responsibilities and travel the world? Oh, what would you name our kid? That sort of thing. And I, I brought up the story of my sister. She seemed to be taken by it, and I... I guess she committed. <laughs> Was she pregnant with me by this point? I don't know. We cut back to Tamba and you, Abiku, and Tamba is saying, the Fire Kingdom was enraged. Rightfully so, they, they'd lost one of their own, a, a bright rising star in such a needless, callous way. And so the kingdom struck back. I think they burned down a chromatic outpost or something like that. And then, of course, the orders, they banded together, they retaliated, and then the kingdoms retaliated, and so on and so forth, and so on and so forth, until war, <laughs> war was happening, just like that. And it kept happening for a thousand years, until war was all we knew. We lost our way, Abiku. Somewhere along this journey of violence and retribution, we lost the light that guided us in the first place. We stopped fighting for utopia, for love, for community, for our vision. Instead, this war became about who was going to rule the world. Power and revenge was just an excuse. It was just an excuse, Ishtar, to keep going. I've had 15,000 years to think about this. And I see now that the gods showed us both kinds of magic for a reason draconic and 
gigantic magic. I know now, seeing Endake as she is, that we need both. We need people to wield swords, hammers, chisels, shields, just as much as we need people to make trees grow, rivers flow, music sing, lightning strike. But we lost our light. Instead of seeing our magic as our common ground, we... We let it divide us. Basanti. <laughs> I remember the day the war ended. I was there. We'd, uh... We'd seized the Northlands, and we were... Storming Banur, the Empire's capital. I was part of the siege, actually. That's another night I'll never forget. Feels like... Feels like yesterday. The screaming. The ice. The fire. For eight days and eight nights, the city held. And then it broke. And it fell. I remember the last of the gigantic generals and queens they'd hold themselves up in the vault. It was a tricky structure, very difficult to map and overcome, but eventually, eventually we did. I was a leader, actually. One amongst the raiding party that mounted the vault's final defenses and... Oh, it was... it was a bloodbath. And I'm not proud of it. But Abiku, you... you tried to stop it. You were there, in the vault. Just like me, all of us were there for that final battle, that final showdown, the last stand between the fangs of the Orders and and the queens of the kingdoms. In those final years, Habiku, some of us said that the gods left us, that ashamed of our greed and our hatred and our violence, they abandoned us. But I don't think they did, because of you, Abiku. You sprang between us, between all of us, you tried to make us see reason, you and Shreni both, you knew what your queens were going to do, the curse, and... And Abiku? The voice is violently, suddenly, I think, punctured and sundered, and the connection you have with Tamba just ruptures like that. And you hear, like, I think as you are still stuck in this paralytic state, like you can't move because usually it takes, you have to rest the whole eight hours usually, you can't snap out of it early. You hear the Raven Queens just sort of swirling frantically in your mind go, No! Abiku! Her soul! Let me, let me help you! And you feel like something is wrong, Abiku. Something is seriously, seriously wrong. You feel like the mist of the Raven Queen swirl up, like up through your chest, up to your eyes and clear it. And you suddenly see, you're no longer in this blurry trance state. You see, Sievert has impaled Tomba through the center of her chest while you were in the middle of this meditative state with like an ancient looking spear. And she is like bleeding from her sternum, like seems like from directly from her heart. And this dragonborn man is like, has stabbed it through. And that was what broke the connection. But as the Raven Queen blesses you and this mist swirls through you, you're able to move. And she says, Abiku, no, no, Rav, Rav isn't close enough, her soul. It's going to go, go to nothing, go into never, go into the empty Abiku. Please, you can help her. You can capture it. Will you be my keeper? I, I don't know what that means, but yes. Abiku Ishtar, you feel this like death magic, right? Just swirl around through your soul 
I think like ripple its way up like a whirlwind of like the smell of grave dirt and candle wax and bird wing just like fills your senses and you are up. You are in control of your body now and you feel electric, uh, uh, alive, like, like mist rolling off of your skin, fresh and, and open and, and ready and, and spiritually awakened. And I think we see, uh, though you're not aware of it, your eyes, which are like kind of misty white. I think they like the clouds on your face begin to billow and blow and like fill up to your eyes. And you suddenly perceive something glowing above Tomba's chest. It is a copper-colored, almost like orb of light that you understand intuitively as her soul. And it's like floating up above her sternum and starting to dissipate. What do you do? Uh, I wanna, I, I try to capture it in like an orb of air. Think like Aang from Avatar. Like I, I'm like, cause I know I don't know if I should touch it. So I'm trying to like use my magic to like hold it in place. You do. Just a breeze suddenly kicks through the medward, like papers from like a nearby table scatter to the floor. I think like the curtains, the privacy curtains start like flapping and howling and this gust, this orb of wind swirls around it. And as soon as you capture that soul, you hear the Raven Queen go, oh, good. I'm sending that back to Rev. Uh, and you sort of like feel the soul inside just sort of like turn in on itself and it becomes small and vanishes, but not into nothing. There's almost like a pop, uh, a, a, a quick strain of the weave tugging, uh, and you know that it's been sent over to Grimm, right? Like wherever Grimm is and wherever Rev is, and, and it's safe in that moment. And you feel that like relief coming from the Raven Queen's voice like course through your body. But now Sievert is there. And oh, he's got he's got that spear in Tamba, and he looks up at you, and he looks absolutely shocked to see that you're able to move. What do you do? He's surprised. I look at him with fury in my eye. That was a mistake. And I open my mouth and I let out a lightning breath because I can do that. <laughs> Fuck yeah. I need a dexterity saving throw, please. Oh my lord, against what? 17. Uh, he got a 15, so what happens? Uh, 10d6 lightning to the face. 40 lightning damage. Okay. Is that purple? Describe to me what it looks like. I need to know. Uh, I just say that was a mistake, and the the clouds in my face crackle for a moment. And before he can react, I open my mouth and just this like thirty foot long like beam of like purple lightning energy like is blasting his face. Oh yeah, he ta he takes it straight to the face as he's like trying to yank the spear out of Tomba's like limp, bloody chest. This purple lightning just scars across his skin. So he like pings off his scales. Oh, like sort of like ricochets off his hair, like causes like a scorch mark to streak through one. And he, oh, like the force of it blasts him, I think backward a little bit. And I think his hands release on the spear and he stumbles backward away from you. Oh, you, I didn't, you're not supposed to be able to move. And you should not be alive. I want to get on Tomba and like take this spear. I'm like this dude. I'm I'm fucking sick of this guy. <laughs> okay, yeah. Abiku, as you lunge forward and you grab that spear and like try to yank it out of Tomba's body on the yank, we are going to cut over to Jaron and Gentle. The two of you, I think, as the spear is yanked up, we see like the whirling of one of the rings. <laughs> 
Then we cut through like space between that ring and its cousins uh, and press up against where Jaron and Gento are standing at the threshold. What do the two of you do? Before we proceed, I just want to clarify one thing. This is more like security room where we're looking at cameras, less like Grand Central Station where people are actually physically traveling between places. You don't know which it is. Oh, oh, so I don't, okay, okay. So we don't know if these people are actually physically moving between these rings. Why don't the two of you make a perception check for me as you're at the ledge? I got an 18. I got a 24. Okay. You get the sense that the people within the hallways are not hopping from hallway to hallway by using the ring system. So in that in that sense, it's kind of like a surveillance situation. But you're also not sure what would happen if he touched a ring. Jaron walks closer to this apparatus, to these various different rings, and they reach out a their prosthetic arm, the left hand, and they go just before touching it. You feel wind, like gusting against your hand, like a really strong tornado wall as you like get close to it. They look back at Gentle one last time, kind of shrug a little and put just their hand through it. No. Okay. Dice calling. <laughs> the prosthetic one? Yeah. Okay. Jaron, you dip your artificial fingers into the whirling, swirling corridor. Let's why don't you decide which one it is? Is it a corridor you recognize or not one that is familiar to you? Um, in the in the off chance that this is actually some sort of teleportation ring, uh Jaron would have picked one that is relatively empty, regardless of whether or not it's familiar to them, they would pick one that doesn't have like anybody else in it. Okay, let's say it is a random hallway adjacent to a balcony somewhere in the Citadel. And as you put your fingers through it, you feel like just wind rushing through it as the ring continues to spin at like mock speed. And we see the audience, not any of you, that corridor, just an empty corridor, a long stretch of hallway with kind of like uh, glass panels on its eastern side uh, to form like a wide balcony that is perhaps used for entertaining. And we see a hand just dip through the ceiling and then move very quickly, like all the way down the hall um, until it hits uh, an intersecting ring, Jaron. So I rolled some dice to see how much the damage would be. I need you to make a deck save. Oh, I love deck saves. Okay, I got a 10, um, but I do have evasion, so I take half damage on failed deck saves. What's half of 60? 30. 30. 30 points of force damage. What fingers do you lose from your prosthetic? Do I have to lose fingers? Uh, I lose, I lose the pinky and the ring finger. Okay, just, they're gone. Like as what another ring comes through, like they just chop him off, like force damage, blunt, bam, like that. It's just gone as you pull your hand back. Ah. Um, Tron, couldn't you have like identified to see that the source of that magic was? That takes a while still. I wanted to do this a little bit quicker. Now, you know, I love you. That's not the best way to do things. Well, um... Now we know for sure. Uh, you can travel through the Citadel through these. Good. Um, however, 
we still need to get to the thing in the middle of all of those, huh? Yeah. Um, uh, Gentle, who does not have a better idea than Jaron, um, is simply just going to see if uh, they can find any sort of gaps. They move fast. This is all Gentle's got is speed. <laughs> Let's see if there's any gaps in the like rings that if they timed it pitch perfectly, they could do it. With your perception check from earlier, you see that it's not just whirling corridors, but there are actual like brass or steel rings that's rotating as well that seem to keep whatever like magitech structure here like intact. So you get the sense that if you were able to like hop from brass ring to brass ring to brass ring and get to the tapestry, uh, there's like sort of like a, a platform in the center that's just sort of floating and spinning like a spinning disc that the tapestry is floating above. You might be able to make it through unscathed. But that's going to require, like, quite a big acrobatics roll. I have a follow-up question. What about if you're a person who can fly? You'd still have to weave and maneuver between the the wings. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was hoping that'd be easier. So the two of you can attempt to make an acrobatics check to get across unscathed. I I would like to do that. I will try that. (laughs) Before we do that, though, uh, Jaron will uh, say, gentle wait. Before you go, uh, take this. And he rummages through his uh, satchel and pulls out, um, I think just sort of like a small brooch that it kind of looks like. It looks like a shield and like pins it to Gentle's robes. This should help you should anything go wrong. And functionally, the the brooch itself uh, has the spell resistance on it. So uh, you can add a D4 to any saves that you need to do uh, for the next minute. Okay. All right. right. Why don't the two of you make me acrobatics checks? Always a 32, Connie. I only got a 29. (sighs) The monk and the rogue being like, oh, an acro check. Oops. (laughs) I hope I don't get under a 39. Oh, that'd be embarrassing. Okay, you bitches. Yeah. Uh, Tell me how the two of you do your little flip ninjas to the center. I have an idea. I think... Gentle probably goes first, given that you can actually fly. So you probably have a way of uh, figuring out maybe like the best path through. But I imagine it's kind of like teamwork where like we're almost like swinging each other across the rings, I imagine, like with our hands, like one person lands on a ring, grabs the other person's hand, it kind of like swings them onto the next one. And we just kind of do that. And with the momentum of Gentle being able to fly, I imagine it goes by a little bit faster and we're able to get a little bit more vertical every time we go fuck yeah gentle uh any any additions any spice to this um i do think gentle is going to probably do a nice little mix of flying between landing um it's going to be like land immediately flip into a like full-on like 180 just to kind of fly and hold it there since I do have a little bit less to worry about thanks to the power of air and just being a lot faster than Jaron. I love that. Yeah, the two of you, like you flip off of like the brass rings and like you whirl and like do these like twists and somersaults between intersecting rings. You like find like the space. There's like a, a few moments where you're like kind of showing off even though there's no, there's no audience. Like you like you didn't have to do a backwards like tumble through a very narrow gap, but you do, you do. And eventually with Gentle giving you, the two of you a bit more verticality, you arrive at the platform. 
and you notice that the platform is made up of a series of locked concentric circles that rotate on like the outside, but the inside seems to be stable. So if you land on the outside, you'd get, oh, like a lazy Susan, like thrown around. But I think the two of you, given your high checks, land in like the innermost uh, circle, which is also the closest one to the tapestry. Uh, this platform, this dais without a raise, let's say, uh, is about like 50 feet across total. So it's a big ass, big ass plate. Looking up at the tapestry, now that you're this close, you see that it is a long, like it is a very long, like as big as like a massive rug or a carpet, right? A vertical uh, work of honestly unparalleled craftsmanship and beauty. All multicolored thread, golden embroidery, and thin, fine weft work. And there's something very, very wrong with it. The Myriad had said it was unfinished, but the Myriad isn't morosy, and looking at this chamber, you get the sense that they never made it across all these rings. They probably just glimpsed it from one of these doors. Looking upon this tapestry now, you see a gorgeous work of art that was once completed, but has now become unraveled. Halfway down its length, whipping, tangled, dribbling strands of loose thread fly back and forth, back and forth, tossed by what you think is maybe the whirling gusts of the, of the rings all around them. But as you look closer, you notice that these unfinished strands aren't being thrown about randomly by the breeze, but they're moving on their own. They're animated. They are weaving themselves back together into a full tapestry and then unspooling and then weaving again and then unspooling in a cyclical fit of like narrative magical confusion. And on the top half, the finished part of the tapestry, the two of you see a sun, a feather, a scroll, a flame, a lightning bolt, a coin, and a spindle arranged in like a powerful looking circle, but there's an eighth icon that's gone. Uh, a hole punched through the fabric, a tear in the tapestry where the rest of it fans out and begins to unravel. That's like the starting point of where the, the threads come loose. And before your very eyes, these loose threads twine together like fighting snakes to form a chaotic, desperate mural. And in traditional Morosi story weaving, because you're both from Morose, I won't make you roll for it, Faces and structures aren't depicted. It's not impressionist. Uh, they're abstracted through symbology, color, line, negative space, shape. So the two of you recognize something that's legible to y'all as Morosans as the scene of a battle, abstracted. A brutal one with heavy losses on both sides as the threads weave themselves back together. Black blots of ink uh, that are sort of like murky and monstrous, hulking and umbral and strong. And then this image falls apart and reforms, uh, creating a completely different image. Uh, one that seems to evoke a one-sided triumph of sun, feather, flame, etc. Uh, these different symbols over the bleeding, leeching darkness. And then it unravels and forms again and again and again. We see blue threads of light and then black wefts of darkness and then blood red panels of sky, bone white wings, shifting eyes, 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 and then it falls apart. Again, and so on, and on, and on, it doesn't stop changing and reforming and changing and reforming, all originating from that empty space where the eighth symbol should be. I have a question, if I could potentially break a spell in some sort of way. Please, this got, is Transplaner. I, break ahead. I got a gust of wind. Um, it's not the fastest wind, but 
potentially. I had six. And yeah, it's just one strong one. Anyway, uh, if I could potentially maybe hit some of the, the wind in a direction that allows it a bit more time to reform or reform less chaotically, is that a thing I could potentially try to do? Are you trying to hold on to a specific iteration of the story? Or are you just going to see um, if that affects it at all? I only got one shot at this. I just want to see if I can maybe hold the, the gust around it, like the winds are going around it in that chaotic like dance. If I could potentially keep that still long enough for it to form at least once. Okay, I think you do it. So what does gust of wind look like from you? I think to, to you know, use more airbender imagery, I think it is very similar to that of gentle, just trying to look at sort of get a feel for where all of the different gusts are like coming from and like just around them. They're very perceptive in that way. And just sort of like trying their best in one smooth, unbreaking line of wind to block all of it in a very, I think, deliberate sort of like curling around itself in a way that it requires just a weird amount of focus in particular type of thinking to block. I think you have to move continuously because the rings are moving too. So you have to guide the wind like continuously to form almost like a wall, a shield around the tapestry. And you do it like a breeze, sort of like you're not fighting back like a tornado meeting a tornado. You're going with it, but you're guiding it away from the tapestry as you just sort of like, I think, make these circular graceful motions with your body. And the tapestry does not cease its chaotic unraveling and re-raveling. What your attempt has revealed is that its chaos, its desperation, is unrelated to outside influence. It's just something that will happen to it regardless. Question for the GM. I assume that we were told about uh, the time that Ibiku joined Vasca uh, when Vasca was becoming the paragon of Nibusa and, you know, um, dealing with the unspooling in Morose. Theoretically, this unspooling was stopped, right? When Nipusa entered Vasca. Make an Arcana check. 11? This is not the unspooling. Uh, the only similarity in the, is that the, the thread is coming apart, uh, but the unspooling doesn't re, re-weave the thread. This feels more like a uh, cycle that it's going through, where every iteration is a little different. And you don't know within an 11 why the cycle is happening, but your eye is drawn to that missing symbol. Uh, something I just realized, is the missing symbol a wheel or anything that would relate to Sen? Yes, it is. You don't see Sen represented in the seven that are there. Noticing that, uh, Jaron will turn to Gentle and say, the missing symbol is Sen's. I think this may, I think this tapestry may somehow be connected to the present, to right now. Oka's the only one who's not a fully realized paragon yet. Hmm. I think when Oka accepts Sen, that's, that's when we get our answers. Jaron, what's your passive perception? Oh, 13. I will give you a plus five passive perception bonus to noticing Oka. Because 
among one of the whirling corridors, right? Your eye, I think as you're talking about Oaken, thinking about Oaken, looking at Sen, your eye just kind of drifts. You notice <laughs> running, um, hmm, running horizontally across a corridor, coming out of a wall, uh, just phasing through it like a ghost, is a white rabbit. Uh, a white rabbit with little like antler nubbins, kind of like little small ones that just sort of like hops and hops and hops. And coming out of the wall, like hot on its little hopping heels is Oka. They are just running for it. And their eyes are like, oh, like wide and frenzied. And like their mouth is like kind of snarl. They're like, focus on this fucking rabbit. Like they need to get it. Like it's it's got all of life's mysteries like contained within its little rabbit fur. And uh, the rabbit disappears through the, through the opposite parallel wall. And Oka like is soaring after it. And on Oka's heels, you see someone you don't recognize at all in long flowing kind of like dark green robes this kind of like long white hair pinched up into a tall regal ponytail they look like a changeling they've got this translucent like kind of pale skin and one well with your house of 18 because of this gay bonus i'm giving you one eye is pure blue and has two pupils in it black and the other eye every time they blink which is twice in this millisecond uh changes into a different color uh, and this person is like also running after Oka. Uh, and both Oka, the rabbit, and this person just disappear through the opposite wall. Uh, but I'm not done. Tumbling also through, I think, space are Sitlali, Dewey, Voska, and Mercy. Uh, they're just running after both Oka and this unknown person, and they all hurtle through the wall and disappear. I think out of the corner of his eye, Jaron sees this image and it immediately, I think, like takes his attention and they flick towards and they say, Oka? And they, I think, are like, maybe even like taking a few steps like towards that ring in particular to try and see uh, like more of this image that's happening. And how far away is this ring? This ring is like the place where you saw Oka is like spindling like above your head and starting to go back down again. And it's one of the outer rings that's quite far. A lot of other inner rings are around it. And around this time, gentle. You notice this happen? I don't know if you, hmm. Let, you know, what, what's your passive perception? 20. You notice that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. You see it too. Yep. You also see Jaron like start to walk toward it like compelled. But with your 20, which is too higher than Jaron's gay bonus, and they only get the bonus toward noticing Oka. Uh, you see a Biku in another one of these swirling rings. You see a Biku like uh, breathing purple electricity into Sievert's face from the ceiling of the Medward and Tamba. It, there's like a massive blood is bleeding all over Tamba's chest and there's like a, a spear through it. You see like Sievert reel backward and a Biku grab onto the spear and start to like pull it out as, as Sievert is like reeling and getting his bearings too. You see that Medward, which is in an inner ring, pretty much like right next to where you are. Uh, dr drawn? Yeah, gentle. Did you did you yeah, see that? Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot. Sit lolly yeah. and oh. Yep. Yeah, yep. Um, uh, and I point out the other ring. I think, like, um, I think that's a little more pressing. Oh, fuck. Yes. Um. Can we jump in. We know where this chamber is. I don't think we can. Uh, I don't think we can do anything with this tapestry until. And Jaron's head like flicks back towards the ring where the the other hounds are, until uh, Oka 
becomes a fucking paragon. So, yes, yes, yes. Let's go help Abiku. How did Sievert? You know what? Never mind. We can ask after. Yeah. Questions later. Um, above the table. Can we jump through this? Okay. Yes, you can. Jaron only got hurt because another ring came and intersected him because he kept his hand in instead of going all the way in or pulling it out first. Okay. Is me holding, like, doing any wind stuff helping this at all or no? It will, okay, let's say for, like, cool flavor reasons, it will help propel you into oh, yeah. the midst of the fight. Gentle, just make, like, a, a spell casting check to see how well you can maintain the gust of wind to get that surprise round. Should I add it? Proficiency and, uh, proficiency yes. and yes. wisdom? Wi- pr- just right, make like a proficient wisdom check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, my bad. Sorry. That's 21 then. That is sufficient. So describe how do the two of you launch through this ring? Um, I think Gentle just sort of like focuses the wind directly behind them and they just like reach out a hand to Duran to just like pull uh, pull them with uh, with them. And just, yeah, they just simply let Force do the rest of the work. And the two of you propel through that ring and we cut into the med ward as a Biku, you, I think, uh, at this point have yanked the spear out of Tamba's chest and tumbling out of the ceiling are Gentle and Jaron, I think directly between, I think right, maybe like right next to or even behind Sievert, right? So giving you clearance, but also like getting the jump on Sievert. So roll initiative. I say as they land, I told you, you made a mistake. I'm sorry to ruin it, y'all. I got a nat one. Woof. It, you still have a surprise round. It's fine. Um, I mean, I got a 14. Uh, I got a 24. Okay. First to act will be gentle. So we're behind Stevert? You can be wherever you want. I just sort of like positioned you behind Seaver because I feel like that's tactically advantageous, but you can have landed wherever. Um, I think I'm going to go to Tomba, actually. Um, I have the ability to do some healing. Okay. So I'm going to probably focus on that, honestly. All right. Gentle, you land, you rush over to Tomba's body, which is limp and just bleeding everywhere. And I think I won't even make you make a check. She, she's dead. I I think Gentle does take a quick second um, and like like, you know the classic movie eyes closed thing Um, and do I still have time to do some attacking absolutely let's say that was just you know that was like narrative flavor okay yeah Gentle's just going to run up and down up the classic Uh, I'm gonna throw four four punches Four punches at this man. Go for it. Yeah. He hurt people. 15, dirty 20, dirty 20, 29. Uh, why don't you roll damage for all of them? But with that 15, he will strike back once. Okay. That's, that's fine by me. Um, also, I do have a hand of harm going for all of this. Yeah, so I'm just going to deal some extra necrotic. Okay. I have to roll a lot of d8s. Math's hard. Um, that is 40, even. Um, okay, tell me what it looks like. Um, I think Gentle uh, does not like uh, death, just in general, um, and is is very much upset about this and just sort of 
kind of goes quiet and charges in and just is very, I think, clinical about this. Um, just throwing very, like, effective hands, probably aiming for, like, stomach, head, leg, and then, like, one more to the side of the head. Oh, um, yeah. He, like, you hit him in, like, a flurry of these blows. Like, bam, bam, bam. Uh, uh, he, like, like punches his glance off of him, uh, but he, like, oh, uh, like, he crumples and softens with each hit. Uh, and he, like, reels, but, like, digs his foot in and slashes back at you, I think, with a, a hand that's been sharpened into these, like, claws, I think, bur- burning with this, like, ice-cold kind of, like, frost magic. And you are going to take... 17 points of slashing damage across the chest and another four points of cold. Okay, I resist cold, so. So two. So 19, 19 damage total. Phew, where did you come from? The, the tapestry room. What? How did you get in? How? Uh, never We're mind, really this is. what we do. <sighs> you little worrisome pests. He just sort of like lets out like this angry exhale and like steam frost like vents through his nostrils, I think, as he says the word pests. Uh, is that your turn, gentle? I believe so. I'm good. Okay. Jaron, you get a surprise attack. When Jaron jumps down, I think as Abiku is saying, I told you, that's when Jaron kind of like falls down and instead of landing behind Sievert, I would like to land on his back. And uh, Jaron had like pulled out a dagger uh, as they were falling and is going to stab Sievert like right in the shoulder, in the back of the shoulder, ideally to incapacitate his ability to to like wield a weapon uh, on, I presume, his right side. And also with the other hand is gonna try and like grapple him, ideally to incapacitate him so that like a Biku and Gentle can more easily attack him. So make, it, make an attack roll for the dagger first. 23. That does hit. Roll damage. 30 points of piercing damage. Not looking good for Sievert Rathstone. Okay. The dagger is a cane's dagger? No, Gentle mm. has. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, right. Uh, the dagger plunges into the soft part between his like shoulder blade and I think like uh, his rotator cuff, and he just lets out a fuck right as you come down and just plunge that knife in deep and with your other hand try to grapple him. So make a grapple check. That's athletics for you as the attacker. Athletics, okay. Oh, that doesn't do so hot. Uh, that is a nine. What happens is you plunge the dagger in and make me a deck save. That should be fine. I'm good at those. 25? You're able to keep your dagger. It doesn't stay lodged in his shoulder. That means your weapon comes with you. Uh, as Seaver just sort of throws, he's a big dude. He's like a massive man, right? Muscle, brawn, like a V. You know, he's cut like a fucking like V. You know what I mean? Uh, he like throws you just with like a uh, arrogant toss of his shoulders and you just sort of like fly through the air and smash into a like a rolling cart full of like medical implements and herbs, right? And like various medicines they've been mis- mixing for Tamba and you just crash like shit flies everywhere. Poultices, I think a big like vial of something like horrible smelling and black like dribbles onto your body that you're not sure if that's like rotting snot or like medicine it's just gross but you like slam into it and you like careen against the wall Ugh, you little gnat gnats and pests 
all of you. Ugh, ugh. And he's just sort of like gripping onto like the wound on his shoulder. And Jerron, from being thrown against the wall, you are going to take, it's okay, you can take it. That is 21 points of bludgeoning damage as you just, bam, he like just really whips you against that wall. That is the end of the surprise round, which means we're gonna go to the top of the order with a Biku. Uh, what's this spear do? Is it just a normal spear? Is it just normal spear stats? I'm I'm using this spear that he was so adamant about using. It is a okay. magical spear. Uh, as you hold on to it, it's like a rather like plain wooden shaft, but the spear tip is like. Mm -hmm. It's carved from a material you've never seen since you woke up in the chasm, but mm -hmm. something about it, though it's glistening with Tamba's blood almost halfway up the shaft feels familiar. It's like a glowing kind of like gem, and there's like a red tassel sort of attached to the, to, to the gem as well. It's magical, but you're not attuned to it, Abiku. So it will function as a regular spear for you. Dope. I think uh, I will do that as I describe what I do, because I am, for my bonus action, casting Zephyr Strike. So Biku starts like twirling this spear around very, very adeptly. Uh, and this like wind starts whipping up around her. Uh, and she just, she is so mad. She's like, I told you, you are supposed to be dead. And I'll roll to hit. Uh, and as I look at what spears are like, I'll use your, oh, it's versatile. So I could use two hands and it'll be a D8 and I'll use my strength which was my plan, which means I have something that I can use on my sheet, so I don't need to look at the stats. 29, is 29 hits. <laughs> yeah, 29 hits. Dope. Uh, I will crit fish, because ever Strike can give myself advantage on an attack, and it'll do an extra D8. Just one attack, though. I did not get a crit. Oh, but I did roll max damage. Uh, 19 damage. Okay. And I have a second attack that I will not use. I will make Seabird a favored foe. Uh, 29 or 21 hit. Sorry. Yes, it does. Nice. Two is 10, 15 damage for my second trick. Okay. What does it look like? Uh, I think the first one is I, <laughs> as I'm twirling it, I just move it in like smack Seaver with the first one like on the side of the head and as he's reeling I like come down and shove the spear into the wound that Jaron made oh yeah he lets out a horrific just growling noise as you just ram that spear through that fresh wound oh and he staggers back like two feet as you're like running it up against him like a pike you <laughs> you know not of the wondrous item you wield against me. You cannot untap its true potential. This spear is wasted on the likes of you. Let me tell you something, Sievert. I killed more people when I was alive than you have met. You have no idea who you are fighting. My name is Abiku Ishtar, and I came back to make sure you return to the nothing. Okay, that was sexy as hell. Make an intimidation check. <laughs> no way! Or I don't have a charisma bonus. <laughs> <laughs> the fate said yes, Abiku Ishtar. 
that stops him dead in his tracks, right? Looking at you, looking, you know, he... Looking at Gentle, who's like right up on him, like Jaron, you know, like oh, the dagger that Jaron is wielding that's stained with his blood, like all the way up to like your forearm, I think, and then back at like the bloodied corpse of Tomba. <sighs> you, 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 I don't know what you're dealing with. You all, you have no, you have no idea. You have no clue. Your pathetic minds couldn't comprehend you, you, at his like voice, his growls, his shouting, his howling, his screaming is like echoing down the hallway and we cut to Tyran's office with V. On the heels of Tyran's story to you about killing his sister in a fit of regretful rage of being part of the party that stormed the vault and witnessed the last of the gigantic mages and draconic mages fall of all of his regrets in life, this legacy he wants to pass down to you. His final word has barely rung out in silence before you all, both of you hear like Seaver's voice echoing down the hallway adjacent to the office. Was, was that Seaver? <sighs> Tyrion pauses when he hears Seaver's voice, like, looks at you, like, furls his brow. What? Sievert? I locked him up in a cell. He he must have escaped, gotten past the guards with the magics I taught him. Uh, Visanti, do you mind if we... And he, like, sort of jerks his head toward the door. V, like, shoots out of the chaise lounge and, like, let's go. Okay, the two of you are out of there. You're down the hallway. You hang a left, hang a right, and then boom, you're there. Like the Medward door, I think, has cracked open. It's like slightly ajar. And then like, I think Tyrion just sort of flings it open. And that's when that's when you all see this scene of chaos. Sievert's still in the middle of like spittling and rambling and shouting. And you see Tomba's corpse. What do you do? Oh my gosh, it's Tomba. I think Viku, like, t- is, V is taking in everybody. How's Sievert looking in this moment? He looks outnumbered. And he looks sh- shocked. He was not expecting. Like, he was definitely not expecting to get jumped here by, like, ten people. And he looks bad. He's gotten beaten up pretty bad. Sievert? What did you do? <laughs> v. And there's a look of, like, like true shock like he was not <laughs> expecting you to show up of all people uh and his eyes wide like slide over to Tyrion, and you see like fear register in his face upon seeing his lord uh, my lord i i didn't i'm not this isn't this isn't what it looks like it and Tyrion makes the calculations standing at the threshold he cocks his head to the side he sees sievert getting attacked. He sees the spear in Abiku's hand, and he sees the spear bloodied, uh, both with Sievert's blood and the puncture wound, I think, uh, above Tamba's heart. And Tyrion turns back to Sievert and says in this, like, he's always been very exuberant, but this time his demeanor kind of dowers, and he says almost with this, like, controlled icy rage, like just bubbling under the surface, right, of, of, of his frozen demeanor. Sievert Rathstone, did you break out of your cell, steal a spear of slaying from my personal armory, and kill the only 
other draconic mage I have left in this world? I... I... My lord, it's... No, she... And gestures at you, Abiku, who, and you're holding the spear. She, she, she did it. She's she's holding the spirit. It wasn't me. I was trying to, to stop her. Yes, I I broke out of the cell because I, I had a feeling something bad would happen to your beloved friend from 15,000 years ago. I, w I would never. He's lying. And what would you know, Snake? You would really believe the, the words of a of a stranger, of a traitor. If the reports from Damathotti are true. Over his mouth. Oh! Tyrion, listen to me. I know you know me, and I know you know that I am a killer. And I also know that you know I have no reason to lie to you. If I was going to kill Tamba, I'm sure I would have done it when I got here. I don't know what this thing is. I don't know why he killed her. But I know one thing is that he needs to die. So will you do it or will I? Kieran's eyes, cold and calculating now, I think in a turn from his usual, I think, indescribable, impenetrable gaze, falls upon you, Abiku, and he nods curtly once after inhaling sharply through his nose, lifts his chin, and like looks at Sievert with like a kind of disdain that could melt iron, right? Like a Sievert almost like withers and shrivels under Tyrion's gaze, and Tyrion turns to V. Vesanti, my daughter, my only child, my greatest gift that I never knew even existed, my legacy. I promised you Sievert's life. I promised you his fate in your hands as a gesture of goodwill, of trust, of my true intentions toward you. And so, this decision is yours. And Sievert's eyes turn to you, V, framed at the doorway, him bleeding, battered, bruised. Like, I think he's like limping a little, almost on one knee, right, from all the blows he's taken. And he's, V, V, please. Come on, you know me, I know you, don't do this. There is a subtle change in the room as V's right hand begins to tense and you can, those who can feel the weave that are in tune with the weave can feel something beginning to manifest in V's hand. And she looks at Seaver and she raises her hand towards him. There's enough space that she can fully extend her arm and you just see um, sort of like green wisps and purple wisps wrapping around her forearm and around her hands as this green ball of energy just grows inside of her palm. And it's enough to like turn the room green. It's so bright. And she's staring him to Sievert. She's staring at Sievert directly in the eyes and says, why did you do what you've done? And she casts detect thoughts and shoots that green of ball of energy into his face. 
and you hear him speak the exact same time as like Detect Thoughts is, is saying the words that he's speaking out loud as he's focusing on saying the words. <laughs> the, I, I was, I was jealous, okay? And I was desperate. All right, first you and now Tamba, just people distracting my lord from his his duties from from the order i i used to be i used to be that crown jewel in his eyes that artifact he, he would never let go of i served him v for years decades decades of my life i dedicated to your father to the great tyrant the white and then and then you had to come along and and i knew you were his i did i did but I couldn't bear the thought of you, of him caring about someone more than he cared about me. And then Tamba came along and... Please, V, don't do this. And every word he's saying is also being thought. V's heart. There's a feeling of just relief and numbness in her heart. And she looks at Abiku with a nod of like, go ahead. And she just whispers gently under her breath, Rev, I need you. You say go ahead to Abiku who's holding the spear. And Siebert's face like crumbles and falls a little, V. No, 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 wait. Wait, 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 wait. Ab Abiku, please! No, 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 you're not- I, I- I take him down. I will not- I don't have to go into detail, but he- Yeah, I do it. As Abiku goes to kill Sievert, Jaron from the ground, still holding the dagger, I think, reaches out a hand and says, Abiku, wait! Abiku, you're better than this. You're better than him. This is not about being better. This is about what must be. And I, I go back to what I was doing. Do you let it happen, Jaron? And gentle? <laughs> no, I don't want to let it happen. Uh, uh, <sighs> My only thought is trying to grab it directly. And that's not smart, but it's a gentle move. Okay. Uh, why don't the two of you make, like, a contested... If, Abiku, you're trying to get past Gentle, then make, like, a, mm -hmm. a acrobatics or athletics contest. I'll let both of you decide. Acrobatics. Acrobatics. Let's go, Ninja. If I see Gentle going for the spear, can I help? Yeah, By... you can give Gentle advantage, yeah. <laughs> What'd you get, Austin? I got a 21. I got a 23. <sighs> Gentle, how do you stop the spear from penetrating Seaver's heart? I think the one thing Gentle reliably can do is, even if I have to burn a key point or anything to it, the one well-placed hit just to knock it, like, off kilter, so it is not, uh, so it misses and just, like, hits the wall or something. Mmm, I like that. Just boom, and poof, I think it goes maybe into the floor, right? Maybe, like, by Seaver's foot, like just like a foot off, like from his heart. Tyrion! <gasps> and he's like looking around for like his lord to, to stop this, right? 
But Tyrion just continues to look coldly at Seavert, right? Like looking at how the attitude in this room is shifting. He looks up at you, gentle. Gentle, gentle, please. Tyrion. V, 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 wait, wait, wait. Uh, As a Biku presumably, you're like lifting the spirit to do the same thing. I'm assuming, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. There's something I have to tell you, V. Uh, it's, 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 it's true. It's true. I, I initially got close to you because I was trying to learn if you were actually Tyrion's daughter. In the beginning, yes, yes, I pretended that I was in love with you. I did, but please, 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 V, you have to believe me when I say I, I, I ended up actually falling for you, V. You can roll insight if you want. Yeah, I will roll some insight. An unnatural 20. He is telling the truth. Every single word coming out of his mouth now is is a truth. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry for hurting you, V. I really am, but I, I had to do it. I had to. I'm not some incompetent, jealous fool. You really think every time we fought, I would have just... I know how to kill, V. I lied to Tyrion because... And an ice, icicle, pierces him through the heart, exactly where Abiku was going to strike from behind. And Sievert, like, touches his, like, pectoral, where, like, the crimson blood is blooming and blooming, almost like he doesn't quite believe it. And he just, wait, no. No, uh, uh, V, V, please. And he like collapses to his knees, just pouring blood like from his front and his back. That icicle has gone completely through and he topples onto his side and just, uh, V. And that's the last thing he says. And Abiku, through your new, I think, Raven Queen, blessed eyes, you see Sievert's soul begin to leech out of his body uh, in a glowing, I think it's like an icy white-blue color. V's going to say audibly, we need to catch his soul. I was say, Abiku is going to ask, the, if she feels a connection as the Raven Queen, what what would you have me do? Exactly what you did with Tom Denyan. You can do it, my keeper. I'll just do the same thing. Mm, a ball of air whisks into existence around this invisible soul to everyone except you, Abiku. And you, V, you see little glimmering, I think, threads of like blue light. Like I think your paragon abilities allow you to see a little bit of it, especially because it's like connected to Sievert, who you you know for, wow, you, you know for better and for worse. And I think at the exact same time, there's a swirl of black feathers right next to you, V, as Rev appears. Uh, having felt your plea, I think, like across the citadel. She's got grim out. She's looking, her she, her eyes are wide. She's like throwing a hand out toward that soul, but sees that Abiku has it ensconced, I think in like swirling wind and just goes, Abiku, Sievert, Tyrion, V, what? Uh, and that soul, like the weave pulses yet again and twangs and all of you see the blade of Grim shimmer. And for, for a split second, you all see Sievert's face flash across it, and then poof, it's gone uh, as Rev reaps it. And Tyrion lets out a long, controlled, yet slightly rattled sigh. 
unbecoming of me as a host. My apologies to all of you for my lieutenant's untoward behavior. You probably should have killed him when you found out he was trying to kill V. I wanted her to have the final say. You made a good decision, Visanti. And Tyrion turns to you in this moment, V. V is uh, a little unattached from, I think, reality. I think she's taking all of what just happened. It happened so fast that um, I think she looks to Jaron and then to Gentle and then to Biku and to... She looks back to her, to Rev. And I think she just like, Rev and V make eye contact and you can just see the tears welling up. And I think Rev just like, or V falls into Rev and just cannot hold back just seven to eight years worth of tears. This episode of The Second Stranger was edited by Connie Chong. Transplaner RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter and ExplainTrade.com, a negotiation skills training consultancy, because you can't ask to roll persuasion in real life. Check out ExplainTrade.com. Please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps so much with getting new listeners to find us. New podcast episodes drop every Tuesday. If you can't wait that long, tune into our live stream Saturdays at 7 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Twitch at TransplanarRPG. Also, toss us a follow on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and YouTube at TransplanarRPG. We also have a Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res art, and much, much more. And finally, a very special thank you to our Patreon Paragons. Alex, Brooke Bright, Charles, Chiacres, Cora Eckert, Emma, Hat, Conding, Lex Slater, Lyle and Peanut, Purple Mouse, Riley, Scruffisus, and Target.